Are you having a great 4th of July weekend? I hope you've been celebrating well. We appreciate our country and the freedom that we have. And we also don't want to take that for granted, knowing that our, our freedoms can be eroded. And I think we're seeing that, and I think we'll see that even more. And so we need to pay attention to what's happening and protect those freedoms that God has allowed us to have that came at, at, at a cost. And, uh, and we remember that. Well, we're, we're starting a new series. We're going to go through the book of Colossians. It's called The Image of the Invisible. And the reason that it's called that is there's a key verse in Colossians. It's in 1 uh, verse 15. We're not going to get there this morning, but it reads like this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And what Colossians does is it exalts the name of Christ and the grace that he extends to us. And that's what we'll be talking for the next several weeks. But I wanted to give you a little background uh, for this series. This is a, a book that Paul, a letter actually, that Paul wrote to some Christians in the town of Colossae. Colossae is in modern day Turkey. It's actually kind of in the middle of the western half of Turkey. It's about a hundred miles from Ephesus, Ephesus, that's on the western coast, and uh, that's actually significant uh, because it seems like that there was a man from Colossae that was visiting Ephesus that heard Paul preach there and went back and started the church in Colossae. That all started after Paul became a believer. Remember, just to set it in a historical context, Jesus Christ lived died, resurrected, ascended up into heaven. Sometime after that, Paul was called personally by Jesus uh, to stop persecuting the church and actually follow him. Paul then went to mainly Jewish people, but realized that his future ministry is primarily with the Gentiles. One of the places he went to was Ephesus. This was, he would have been in Ephesus maybe about 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. And then that's somewhere in the time that he was there, we think Epaphras was visiting from Colossae. He hears uh, the gospel. He takes it back to Colossae, and he starts a church. In the meantime, Paul continues with his ministry, but he is jailed. He's imprisoned in Rome, shackled to a Roman guard. And now, 10 years later, he's writing back to this church. And as he's writing them... The first thing that he does, and we're going to just take a look at the first 14, I think, 12, 13, 14 verses here. And, uh, and he basically, it's just two prayers. One prayer is he's just commending them for their reputation, what he's heard about them, their Christianity. And we need to be reminded of that for ourselves. This is what Christianity looks like. But then he transitioned and he says, so I thank God for you in this prayer. And then he says, and I'm praying for you this, this, this. And what he's praying for us is really that we would live in grace. And so we're going to be talking about those things as we start. But we're going to start off in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. And if you're using a Bible in the chair racks, I think it's 1178 is the page. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And when he says apostle, he's flashing his credentials there. And there's a reason that he's doing that, because he's going to start out saying a lot of good things about the people in Colossae, the Christians that are there. But later in his, his letter, it's going to get a little tougher, 
and he's, going to, he's actually correcting them on some false teaching that cropped up there. And so he's saying that he's an apostle in that he was called by Jesus Christ personally. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, who's with him in Rome, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So this is just the introduction. The saints, he's writing to the saints in Colossae. I know some people today think saints are special people uh, that died and we can pray to, or you have a little bobblehead on your car dash or a little metal around your neck or something like that. That's not in scripture. That's not what a saint is. In scripture, a saint is any believer. And we do not pray to saints Uh, We're told not to speak to the dead in Scripture, actually. We don't do that. And because of Christ, we can go straight to God, and God cares, and God hears. And so, saint and, he says, the faithful brethren, that's who this is to. And so, as he writes this, he's going to first talk about, first prayer is about the evidence of that they received the grace, the gospel of grace, the good news of grace, and then secondarily, how to live in grace will be his next prayer. So let's dive right in. The evidence of grace. Paul mentions praying for them since hearing about their conversion. So he's heard of them by reputation, and he's appreciating what he's hearing because it's evidence of a change by God's grace in their life. And it starts out this way, He says, we give thanks, this is his prayer, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Now he's going to introduce this triad that we hear a lot about in scripture, faith, hope, and love. But now he's saying, hey, we've heard, Paul has heard about their faith in Christ, which has produced love for the brethren, love for other believers. And then it'll be hope next. It goes this way. Next verse. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So that's that tried faith, hope, love. And then she's taking that. But this laid up for heaven, he's saying, okay, you have this hope laid up in heaven. And he's tell, saying this as a past tense. They already have this. They own this. Heaven is a sure thing. They're, it's secure where they're heading. They already know that's happening. They can take it to the bank. So that's what's going on there. Of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. Now, when he says word of truth, the gospel, what's interesting here is really that comes to our mind. That's content. That's a body of truth. That's a specific teaching of the Bible, what we would call doctrine. And so he's saying, hey, of which you previously heard when Epaphras went there, you heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So this is content. This is information. But look how he continues as he continues in verse 6 which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. So that's what's interesting. It's a body of content 
that we understand, but when we embrace it, when we fully digest it, when we actually understand it, it produces inside of us fruit that constantly increases. That's what he's telling us. Fruit. The gospel of grace isn't a stagnant system of ethics. It's a living, breathing, moving, growing reality in our life. Embracing the gospel always brings about an interchange which then changes us on the outside, which is interesting to me, especially in our day, because a lot of people, they've followed the world system so much and they're all kind of burnt out. And you hear writers today or influencers today talking about soullessness, soullessness, where they feel empty and hollow. Or they'll accuse somebody else of soullessness, that they don't have anything inside of them. It's like a feeling that the outside is greater than what's on the inside. So this is, but the gospel brings just the opposite. The gospel, when we respond to it, the grace of God, the gift of God, that brings so fullness. When we embrace God's love for us, all of a sudden then, our inside, what's inside of us, God is greater than the outside. It's just the opposite. And sometimes as we reflect on the love that God has for us and then our love back to him, it fills our hearts. Uh, I don't know if you ever felt where, where you've thought about this and just maybe thought this through. And it just will fill your heart up with love so much that you feel like your heart wants to burst out love. That's what God gives us, soul fullness, when we respond to his grace. And here's the thing. A lot of people look at the gospel, this good news of God's grace, and they just see that as a launching point for the Christian life. But we keep reminding ourselves here at Grace that it's not like we launch ourselves into the Christian life with the gospel, this good news of this free gift, and then once we're launched into that life, that now it's obedience, obedience, and we're just fighting, fighting, fighting to be obedient to God. Because if we do that in our own strength like that, we won't be. Then we get discouraged and we get kind of disillusioned. We cannot turn loose of the gospel. It's always God's grace. God's grace saves us this free gift, but then we don't move on for that. We never outgrow the gospel. It's the gospel that helps us to live out every single day of our Christian life. And so he says, bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. So they hear it, but not just hear it, they understand it, and it's all about grace. And it's interesting that brings it up here. He's already mentioned the word once. But this whole letter is written to the believers in Colossae because they're having an issue with the issue of grace. And, and the issue they're having is the same issue that we have today. Humanly, in our human nature, we keep adding things to grace. But you cannot add anything to grace. 
If you add anything to grace, it's not grace anymore. If you add anything to grace, if it's grace plus anything, it's no longer Christianity. That's what makes Christianity different than every other world religious system. In that, in Christianity, it's not a system to earn favor with God or be okay with God or get us to some next level. In Christianity, it's we can't do that God has to do that for us, and so God does that. Christ comes and lives the life we should have lived but couldn't, and then dies the death we should have died for us. And so that's a gift offered to us that we can only accept through faith. And so that's what's going on, the grace of God in truth. And so this is what he's talking about, and this is exactly what they had been taught. We see this in the next, uh, next verse here as this continues. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and that he also informed us of your love in the spirit. This is that reputation thing. And so Paul thanks God for their evidence of grace in their life, for the evidence that they received the gospel, the good news of God's grace. And now he's gonna pray for them. Here he's praying about them. He's thanking God that they've become believers. But now he's gonna pray for them. And maybe the way to characterize this prayer for them is that we would say that they would be living in grace. What's interesting about this prayer that's gonna follow here is it's not the way we typically pray or even want to be prayed for. How many here have, say, in the last year or so, you've asked for prayer about a specific thing in your life? How many? So almost all of us, yeah, we ask for prayer for things. But typically, when we ask for prayer, we ask that God would change a circumstance in our life. And there's, there's nothing wrong with praying that way. We can pray that God would change a circumstance in our life. That's okay. But here, Paul, if Paul was praying for us, judging by this, he wouldn't pray that way. Paul prays a different kind of a prayer. And, uh, and it's funny because if, if something happened, if, if in the windstorm, how many got damage in the windstorm? Let's say, some, let's say a, a huge oak tree fell on your house and just busted the roof. And then you say, hey, pray for us, we've got an issue. And then let's say two different, two friends called you and they gave you two different things they were praying for. One friend calls and they said, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your roof will get fixed and you'll be all squared away and your house will be warm and dry. And that's what I'm praying for. And then your other friend calls you and say, hey, I'm praying for you that you're gonna grow in Christ during this situation, that God will use this to build you up and make you a stronger believer. Which one are we, which one are we appreciating more? Hey, hey, I want my roof fixed. We pray circumstances. Paul doesn't do that as much. Here, Paul is praying a different way. He says this, it's a deeper way, beginning in verse nine. He says, for this reason also, their reputation 
Since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what's the prayer? And by the way, they've got some circumstances going on in Colossae. We know at this time in history, uh, Colossae is grouped with two other cities, uh, Hierapolis and Laodicea. And Colossae was sort of the dominant city of the three. But by the time the first century has come around, they've lost that dominance. Laodicea is now more dominant. Their economy's kind of on the skids, if it will. We actually know from history that just a few years after this, the entire city of Colossae is destroyed by an earthquake. We don't know if they're feeling the rumblings of that right now as, this letter, as they receive this letter or not. But that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue that they got going on is that they're messing up the grace of God and Paul's correcting them with this letter. So, and then they got all their individual issues going on. They have issues. But Paul's saying, I'm praying that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then how do, we, how do we know what God's will is? Well, God's will is right here. God's will is understood in his word and biblical principles. That's where we get God's will. And here's the thing. We are pounded by our world and our specific culture today that there is no absolute truth. There's no truth, no real truth, no objective truth, and there are no absolutes, which is wrong. That, but in our culture, you hear people talking out, well, my truth is this. Well, her truth is that. There's no my truth and your truth, right? Truth is truth. Truth is objective. Truth is evenly applied to everybody. And there are absolutes, especially moral absolutes. And they're recorded for us in scripture. This is where we get that. We want to understand God's principles, God's truth, so we can apply it to our lives. That's what God wants for us. That's the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We want to get it. We want to understand it. We want to apply it with our lives. So why does he pray that we be filled with the knowledge of his will? Well, he actually gives us five reasons that follow here. Five reasons that also describe living in grace like we should live as believers. So here it starts in uh, verse 10 here. So that, first of all, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, when he says walk... He's talking about your daily life. When, when scripture says walk in this kind of a context, he's just saying that you'll live your daily life in a manner worthy of the Lord. And, and so our first thought when we think that, okay, well, I can live my daily life, but worthy in the manner of the Lord, that's impossible. We don't think we can live worthy of the Lord, but actually that's repeated in scripture. Maybe a way to think of it is thinking about, what about Paul, his life? After God grabbed a hold of him, he had been persecuting the church, God grabs him, and that, then he suffers for the church. Do you think Paul sort of walked in a manner worthy of the Lord? Well, yeah, he didn't earn salvation. I mean, his, 
His salvation was a gift like anybody else, but yeah, he, he lived his life in a way that honored God and was pleasing to God. And by the way, so can we. It doesn't earn us he heaven. It doesn't contribute to our salvation, but we can walk in a way that is pleasing to God. And then he continues, uh, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. Okay, bearing fruit. Well, what is that? Well, primarily bearing fruit in the New Testament is making converts where other people, we reproduce ourselves. Other people become believers and they put their faith in Christ. But there are other things in, in the New Testament that are described as fruit. For example, praise is described as fruit. Giving is described as fruit. Peace is described as fruit. And then you have the whole fruits of the Spirit, a whole list of things that show up in our lives when we're truly following God. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God that we would more and more, he's already touched on this, this is spiritual growth that we had increased in the knowledge of God. Then he continues. Uh, next verse says, or as we continue in this verse, strengthened with all power. Strengthened. This is strengthened with all power. Is strengthened with God's power. God empowers us to live out our daily life. And sometimes I'll talk to people and we'll be talking about doing the right thing or the wrong thing, doing the thing the Bible says or not doing the Bible, what the Bible says. And, and people will say, and I understand it, they'll say, I can't do it. I, I know I should do it, I'm trying to do it, but I just can't do it. And I'm here to say, if God's told you to do it, if it's in here, you can do it, but you can't do it, you're right about that, but God can do it in you. God will give you the strength. God will always give us the strength to do the right thing. He doesn't strengthen us to do the wrong thing. He will give us the strength as we try to do what God has called us to do. We need to ask him for strength. We need to rely on his strength. We need to have confidence in his strength and we need to follow through in his strength. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. He, what's he talking about? Well, we could maybe shorten that down to endurance. That we would, we would make it. And I got to tell you, the steadfastness, I've seen that in many of you. Where you have recently gone through a loss or, or just some terrible circumstance, several of you here today, you've gone through something that kind of just feels like it ripped your heart out. But because you remained connected to God, because you saw your strength in him, not apart from him, you were steadfast and patient. You rode the storm. And, and the, the storm pulled you closer to God rather than you wanting to get away from God. 
steadfastness, and patience. And then uh, that's the evidence of grace and the living in grace. And then just toward the end here, I want to transition to something else, and that is responding to grace. Because that's what Paul sort of alludes to next as he closes out this section. Um, Think about it. The people in Colossae were people just like us. I mean, first century, but they're in a town that had been booming, not booming as much anymore. Everybody's busy. They're doing their thing. They're involved with life. They've got their thing going. They have their own system of beliefs, whatever that is, either pagan or God, or they could care less about God, whatever that is. And then this guy Epaphras says, hey, I heard some stuff. Let me share this good news. That's where we get the word gospel. He says, you know what? We don't have to do all these things to serve all these gods. We don't have to do that. Actually, God has done this for us, and he's offering us forgiveness because we've all messed up. He's offering it free to us. It's called grace. And he's inviting us into relationship with him forever. And it's a total gift. And so these people are are processing that and some respond. We know that because there's a church there. But it's the exact same way today. We have to respond to the grace of God, just the grace. And if we're adding anything to it, as I said before, then it's not grace anymore. And and we see this happening, but I got to tell you, the reason I want to talk about this at the end is that my biggest fear as a pastor, your pastor, is that you would be here, some people just once maybe, but but more, my bigger fear is that you would be here for a while at grace. And you wouldn't truly understand and embrace the gospel. You would know what the word meant. You would be familiar with the terms. But you would have never really turned your life over to God. And so before we even get further into the book, just right here at the introduction is the challenge. Are you sure that you're a believer? Scripture, Paul says to the Corinthians, hey, examine yourselves. See whether you're of the faith. And we need to do that. And I just want to remind you how that happens. God comes in and changes our life. As a matter of fact, we have a story on how that happened. This is Mallory's story. Before Jesus, my life was very difficult. Um, I was in a toxic marriage Um, We were high school sweethearts, and at some point along the years, it became very mentally, emotionally abusive, controlling, and I spent a lot of my nights crying and wishing that life would be different, and I just knew I didn't want my life to be like that forever. So my uh, now ex-husband had an affair, and um, that was really tough, but I kind of saw it as my way out of that toxic marriage. I'm sort of thankful for it, but with having two children, splitting up time with them was the most difficult for me. I didn't know how to be anything but a mom. I didn't think I was good at anything but being a mom. I had no identity other than being a mom. So 
The first night they were gone, on my way home from work, I just knew I didn't want to go home to that empty house. And I just kept thinking about if I just drive my car into oncoming traffic, I wouldn't make it home. I was sitting in the empty house, just staring at all of their things in their bedroom that was had nobody there and it was really lonely and I didn't want to live like that. I didn't feel like I had a purpose and so I just wanted to end it all. I planned to overdose on some medication and um, I was going to do that right before bed so I didn't have to wake up the next morning. I was pleading with God and kind of yelling at him because it wasn't fair. I didn't feel like I deserved that. And um, then a sense of calm came over and I was, I heard a voice tell me that this isn't the end. I have a lot more to live for and I had to keep going. I was looking for a group um, to help get through the divorce and I came across Divorce Care and saw that it was at Grace. So I attended that Wednesday and the very next Sunday, I made the decision that I wanted to attend a service. That service was in the Sola series, and Pastor Kevin was speaking about, through grace alone, we are saved. And I really felt like it was just kind of directed towards me. And at the end of the service, he had asked anyone that wanted to give their life to Jesus to say a prayer, and there was no doubt in my mind. I said that prayer, and um, immediately my life has been forever changed. So after accepting Jesus, my life um, just became more happy and more peaceful. I was able to forgive for a lot of the things that went wrong in my life. I met friends through the church, and I finally feel like I'm a part of a home and a community, um, something I've never experienced before. I prayed for a new job that allowed me to stay home and see my kids more often. And in October, I accepted that job. Life has just been better knowing that Jesus is helping me and walking me through life. No matter what your situation, no matter what's going on in your world when you came in here today, God is offering you grace. God is offering you relationship. God is offering you connection. God is offering you salvation. But you have to respond to it, just like Mallory did. And when you do that, God will fill you up with joy and thankfulness. Actually, that's how this continues here. We got the last word of verse 11, kind of an awkward transition there, but uh, with the, the verses, but joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Okay, first of all, joyously giving thanks. Once we become a believer, because it's all grace, because it's a total gift, because we didn't do anything to deserve it or earn it or, or, or make ourselves in some way more receptive to it or anything else, it's all God, it's all grace, we respond with joy. And, and here's the thing, you have to look at your life 
And the question is, are you experiencing that joy and thankfulness in your life? Because if, if you're not, that means one of two things. One, it could mean that you're not a believer. And so it's just not there in you. When you're not thankful, you know, what are you? You're in, if you're not grateful, you're entitled. You, you think, well, life's not going right. It's not fair. Everybody owes me something or somebody owes me something or God owes me something. God doesn't owe you. You have thankfulness and joy. If you know you're a believer and, and you feel like you don't have this joy and thankfulness, you've taken your eyes off Christ. You've taken your eyes off the gospel. You've moved on from grace. You don't ever move on from grace. It's grace that, that God uses to help us live out every day. Joyously given thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Who has qualified, think about that, qualified us to share in the, qualified us for heaven. He qualified the unqualified. I'm not qualified. Jesus had to qualify me. The Father had to qualify me. Qualified the unqualified. It's all grace, it's all a gift. That's all we have. And then he continues in verse 13, he says, for he, this is how he qualified it, he rescued us from the domain of darkness. And, and that sounds a little heavy, right? Domain of darkness. Hey, I live in Clyde. I mean, domain of darkness, it's not that bad. I mean, it's not exactly Sin City. Hey, I'm downtown Fremont. What's going on here? Domain of darkness is life without God. That emptiness we feel, that hollowness, when the outside is bigger than the inside and sometimes circumstances could come down and just crush us, cave us in because the outside's bigger than the inside. But when he qualifies us, when we accept it, when we come into relationship with him, when we're flooded with that joy and thankfulness, all of a sudden our insides are bigger than the outsides and the circumstances don't crush us anymore. And I see that in people's lives all the time. Right now, today, right here. And that's what God wants you to experience. And he continues the verse 13, I'm sorry, transferred, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us. This is replanted us, resettled us, brought us to another kingdom, us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemptions, our price has been paid. Redemption, the emancipation of us, slaves to sin and slaves to the penalty of our sin. We've been freed, we've been emancipated, it's come at a price, but we didn't pay the price. God did through Jesus and he offers us forgiveness of sins. And we're free from the darkness. And we're no longer living all about us. And you know how that goes. When our life gets too focused on us, it's the more I want to do, the more I want to do, the more people get hurt. The more I want to do, the more debt gets racked up. The more I want to do, 
the more scars are made. The more I do what I want to do, the more damage to the people I love the most, the more evil in the world. The more I do what I want to do, the more the regrets build up in my life, and the only way I can fight them off is to blame other people. We don't want to live that way. The more hollow we feel, it's all darkness, but we've been rescued from that and transferred into his kingdom. And if we've really received grace, salvation through what Christ has done, we don't grow cold to that. We don't grow cold in our hearts to God because we're thankful. We keep appreciating. We don't move on from the gospel to, to do something else. We live every day in the gospel. And, and so here it is. Before we even get started in Colossians, just day one, do you know that you have a relationship with our Savior. All, all, all you need to do this is you have to understand that you've sinned against God, that you've done wrong things. And we all have, that shouldn't be such a leap. And if you wanna get real technical about it, you can read the Bible and what God tells us to do and how we're all messing that up. We've all sinned against God. And God says, just like we would hope, that there's justice in the world, and so sin has to be punished, and the punishment is that we'd all be separated from a righteous and holy God forever. But God kept loving us. God still loves us, and God knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows every darkest secret we have, and he still loves us so much. He allowed his one and only son to come and to bleed for us to die for us, to pay our price by dying on the cross so that we could be forgiven and justice wouldn't be violated because the price has been paid. And so Christ has done that, loving the whole world. And he offers that to us, all of us. But we have to respond. We have to accept the gift that he's offering. And we have to understand that it's a total gift. It's grace and nothing else. Because if anything's attached, it's not grace anymore. If anything's attached, it's not Christianity anymore, not, not real Christianity. And so we have to put our trust in him with a desire to follow him. We mess that up, but we start with just loving him back. And so the question is, have you done that? And if you haven't, right now, faith is a decision that you make in your heart that you decide that you will trust Christ, but it's more than intellectual. It's, it's a movement of your will that you will place your faith and trust in Jesus because you have nothing else to save you. And if you're ready to do that for the first time today, I want to lead you in a prayer that will express your newfound trust.
in Christ. So let's bow our heads. And I know we come from different places. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. Some of you have been in this church a long time, and maybe you're not really a believer. Only you and God know that. Put your trust in Christ, all of it. It's all grace. And when you do that, you can express to God. I I think it's good that you tell somebody, first God, and you can express it something like this. Just pray, make this prayer your prayer, something like, God, I admit that I've sinned against you. I get it, that I deserve separation from you in hell. I get it. That's what we all deserve. But God, you love me anyway. And you're offering relationship at great costs. And it's a free gift. And Lord, I'm accepting that by faith. I'm putting my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. The only basket to put any eggs in, just Jesus. All my eggs right there, just Jesus. And God, I'm asking you to forgive me based on what Jesus has done and come into my life and help me live it in a way that pleases you. Through your spirit, come into my life and help me live it in a way that pleases you. In Christ's name. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed for just a moment. So if you have this faith, you've expressed it to God. That's good. But I'd also like you to tell someone else. I think it's good for us to share with somebody else when we become a believer. That's what God would want us to do. And so first, I'm going to ask you to share it with me. So while our heads are bowed, if you prayed that prayer, as far as you know, the first time that you've sincerely understood that it's only Jesus, that you're adding nothing to it, and you're asking him for forgiveness based on what Christ has done, you're trusting in Christ totally. As far as you know, for the first time you've expressed that to God, I'd like you to raise your hand, and that'd be a way of you telling me. Just put your hand up and back down just so I can see it. Several did in the first service. Just put it up. Thank you, thank you, thanks. And then put it back down. Just put it up. Let me see it. Put it back down. Thank you very much. Right now we're going to stand and Aubrey's going to come out and lead us in that song again and listen to what we're singing because we should be responding to God with joy. Thanks, team. I've, I've talked to people in my life who sometimes will say, you know, I want to become a believer, but maybe right now, not right now. Because I kind of want to live my life, and then when I'm done doing that, maybe then. And if you think that way, you're not understanding grace. You're not understanding the gospel, because God is offering you today a life that's more meaningful, more purposeful, more joyful, more life-giving than anything that you've ever experienced before. And if you miss that, you're missing the core of Christianity, God's grace. We did have some responses. If if you prayed that prayer as far as you know for the first time, that you put your trust and faith in Christ alone, we'd like for you to grab a packet. If you wanna talk to somebody, go to room one. If you don't, you can just grab a packet of information on either side of the platform or in room one or at the information center. Want you to have it, We just by way of follow-up, if there's anything we can do to help you, that'd be great. 
Well, today we're gonna head out. We're celebrating the freedom that we have in our country this weekend. But more than that, way more than that, we should be joyful and thankful and celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ and everything he's done for us. Have a great day, have a great weekend.